0: The word of the Lord. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity, yet surely my right is with the Lord, and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth.
1: Amen. All right, you guys grab a seat. Uh, As you're doing that, let's uh, pray for our time in the word. Father, we thank you uh, for all that you're doing. We thank you for uh, what you're doing around the world, and we thank you, God, that this morning we get to consider uh, this passage. Would you speak to us through it? God, I pray that we would have sharp minds as we come to this passage, that we'd have soft hearts, that we would understand what you have for us, and that it would lead us into worship. Would you soften hard hearts? Would you soften uh, apathetic hearts? Would we want to worship you and follow you in greater ways? So would you speak through your word, Spirit of God, this morning? Uh, Help me, preserve me, help our ears as we go through this. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want you to think this morning to start... um, of a moment where you maybe realized that you had too small of expectations for something. So consider a time uh, when you realized you had too small of expectations for a certain thing. Now, I know for some of you, you might have the opposite problem, uh, where you often have too large of expectations for something, but if you're like me, oftentimes we don't want to be disappointed and get our heart broken, and so we kind of set the bar low when we go into something, and and we have these kind of small expectations. Uh, For instance, uh, I've said up here before that I'm a huge Minnesota sports fan, and so this last September, I was watching uh, some college football, and I was watching the University of Minnesota, and they were playing some pretty bad teams, and they were like, barely winning. And so I promised you, I'm, I'm looking after a couple of these wins, and I'm looking at their schedule thinking, man, maybe we could get like six wins. I'm, if you know like the Big Ten, I'm looking at like Purdue, Illinois, Maryland, like maybe we'll get one of those wins. And somehow my expectation was maybe we could just get to a bowl game. Now, I wrote this before yesterday, so my heart got broken because they lost. But they still have had a phenomenal year. They're 9-1. and one. They've been ranked in the top 10. And what I realized pretty quickly is that my expectations for them were far too small. Now, I know Husker fans don't really understand having too low of expectations for their team, so let me give you some examples that maybe you can relate to. Uh, Maybe think about a time at work. Maybe you've gone to work, uh, and you had your boss say, hey, I need you to come into my office. And you kind of get that pit in your stomach, and you think, okay, I don't think I've done anything wrong, but I might get fired. Like, I have pretty low expectations for this meeting. And you walk into the office, uh, and your boss encourages you or says you've been doing a good job, or maybe you get a promotion or something, which would be awesome. I'm sure that doesn't happen a lot. But you kind of go in and, and you realize, well, my expectations for this meeting were far too small. Or you meet with a client or a customer and, and you think, I'm going to go through this, but there's no way they actually agree to anything or I can make the sale. And right there, they sign on the dotted line or they're in and you realize, man, my expectation for this was too small. Maybe you've gone to a party or an event. And you thought, I'm going to go through this, but I'm going to try to get in and get out as quick as possible. And you go there, and you meet people, and you talk to people, and it's so fun. And you walk out, and you think, man, that was actually a great time. My expectations were far too small. You know the feeling I'm talking about? These times where you have to just kind of realize, man, what I was expecting was far too little for what actually is happening. Now, I think for many of us, uh, this could maybe best be shown in how we view God. A lot of times I think that our view of, you could say God, or our view of Christianity, what Jesus is doing, maybe our view of the mission of God, is just simply too small. There's an old missionary, William Carey, and he once said this, he said, we should expect great things from God and then attempt great things for God is a man that was driven to leaving everything he had at home to go to a new place to move across the world. And he said, we should expect great things from God. And we should attempt then great things for God. Now, I think, if I could hypothesize a little bit, that our small expectations from God is why a lot of us sometimes think Christianity can be boring, can be dull, Uh, Maybe Jesus isn't super relevant in our life, and I want to suggest this morning that if you felt that before, one of the reasons may be is because your view of what God is doing in the world is just far too small. What I would love for us this morning as a church to kind of do is kind of own this statement, that we as a church moving forward would expect great things from God. And when we expect great things from God, that would drive us to attempt great things from God. That we would kind of maybe confront our low expectations of who God is, what He's doing in the world, and this morning we'd kind of lift our eyes a little bit, and we would begin to expect great things from our God. And so how we're going to do that this morning is we're going to look at Isaiah 49. That was, was just read for us by Luke. Luke. Which is a phenomenal voice, by the way. I'm sure you noticed. Uh, that was amazing. Uh, and what we're going to see in Isaiah 49, if you've got a Bible, you can flip there right now, um, what we're going to look at in Isaiah 49 is an example when Israel, the Old Testament people of God, when they had small expectations of God. We're going to see a time where, where something was going on and they had small expectations. And I'm going to use that, and then we're going to kind of shift, and I just want us to be really honest about our small expectations, Okay, so we're going to see Israel's small expectations, our small expectations, and at the very end, we're going to see at the end of this passage God's big mission. Okay, So we're going to see God's big mission at the end, and then like Leah said at the beginning, we're going to then kind of consider what it means for us as a church to join him in that mission. But in order to do that, I think we have to be honest about maybe our small expectations and begin to change that. So let's look at Isaiah 49. We're going to start in verse... One, O coastland through verse four right away. It says this, "'Listen to me, O Coastlands. Give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of His hand He hid me. He, pol- he made me a polished arrow, and in His quiver He hid me away.'" And he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord, and my recompense with my God. <clears throat> so in these first few verses uh, of Isaiah 49, we're introduced to this uh, servant of God. Okay, And in verse 3, it says that this servant of God is Israel. This is the Old Testament people of God, Israel. And what we see in these verses is that uh, God had formed and created Israel for a purpose. Look at the imagery in the first couple verses. Uh, You can look at your Bible or see some of the imagery that he gives us. He says that um, they were uh, formed and called from the womb. There's this intentionality saying from the very beginning I put a call on your life. He says their mouth was created for a purpose. So the, the words that they would speak has purpose to them. He says like a, like a shooter would prepare his arrow for a battle and for something that he's about to do, so too God has polished Israel and he's put them in his quiver. So there, there's intentionality and a purpose to God dealing with Israel. Now, throughout the Old Testament, uh, God says that he had formed Israel uh, basically for two purposes. I might be oversimplifying, but if we could kind of narrow this down, I think there's really two purposes that God has for Israel. One, they are to worship him. So Israel is supposed to be the people of all the different people groups in all the world. Israel was supposed to be the people that was his. So they worshiped him. They looked like him. But two, God always said, and in doing that, you would be a light to the nations. So God says, Israel, I am going to work in you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to build you up. You're going to be my people. And I'm going to work through you. I am going to reach the nations. He, he works and he says, I am doing this so that all the nations would know that I am God. When he brought Israel out of Egypt, he said, I'm going to do this so that Egypt knows I'm the true God. He consistently in the Old Testament says, your purpose, Israel, is to worship me, be like me, so that the whole world would know who I am. Their mission from the beginning was not just for God to work in Israel, but God to work through Israel. Yet in Isaiah 49, if you've ever studied through Isaiah, you might know that the context of this passage is actually Israel not in their promised land, not with their temple, not with God near them, but Israel's actually in what's called exile. And so Israel had this purpose to be with God and to be a light to the nations. Uh, And they disobeyed. They didn't do it. They fell short of what God called them to. And so God scattered them among the nations. This isn't a people group that's prospering in Jerusalem. This is a people that are scattered and enslaved to the nations. Israel, instead of being a light to the nations, ended up being enslaved by the nations. So this people, just imagine if you were Israel. The whole Old Testament is promises about you. Like God would be with you. You would be with God. You would have your temple. You would have a king on the throne. God promises he's always going to work through you. And now, all of a sudden, you find your family scattered. You're enslaved. People have died. You have no presence of God. You don't have the temple. You don't have your land. And God in Isaiah is coming in and he's saying, Israel, I am going to be faithful to you. Like, I want to give you comfort here. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to work in you again. You're going to come back into your land. We see this in verse 5. So they're in exile. They're they're kind of a failed servant. And in verse 5, he says, Now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant. Uh, And so we're starting to see a little shift here. We see the past, Israel was the servant. But now there's kind of this new servant that's coming up, and he says that he's going to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him. This is a scattered people, and God's saying, I'm going to raise up a new servant, and you're going to come back. I'm going to gather you back up, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord my God, and he has become my strength. So here's what he's saying. It's a little bit confusing, but here's how this passage works. There's Israel, and they failed as a servant, and they're scattered. But God says, I'm going to raise up a new servant, and I'm going to bring you back. You scattered, you disobeyed, you have sinned, but I'm going to bring you back to myself, and I'm going to raise up a new servant to do this work. Now, before we get to the new servant, again, just think about how this would sound to Israel. They're enslaved, they're scattered, they don't have their promises. It feels like God has left them, and God is coming and saying, I'm going to bring you back into the land. I'm going to bring you back. We're going to reset up the temple. Everything is going to be back to the way it was. And Israel is most likely just longing for this day. Like, this would be amazing news if you're enslaved and you get to come back to the way things were. And to be honest, this is a huge deal. God made promises to Israel, and now he's saying, I'm going to fulfill them. You're going to come back. You're going to be with me. The problem is that Israel always had, and to this point still has, uh, an issue with always having too low of expectations. Rewind God. You see, they're content. God, if you would just bring us back into the land, if you could just kind of rewind time and things go back to the way things were, you don't have to do anything else. Just bring us back and we will be fine. We'll be happy. Just fulfill your promises to us. We'll be quiet in our little corner of the mountain and we'll just, we'll do our thing and everything will be fine. And God says that their expectations are too small. They say, as long as God does something for us, as long as he fulfills his promise to us, as long as he works now, we will be content. Their expectations are self-focused and therefore too small. And we know that because of the very next phrase in verse 6. Look at verse 6. The first half, he says this. God is now speaking to this new survey, and he says, it is too light a thing. It's too small that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. What God is saying is, I'm going to raise up a servant and he is going to be so good. Like what he's going to do is going to be so beautiful, so glorious, so majestic that it is simply too small to only work in this people of Israel. They just want to kind of come back to the land and for God to be with them. And he says, that's too light a thing. I've got a bigger mission at play. My servant will be so good that it is too light a thing. Israel has too small of expectations. Now, before we get to who this servant is, um, I want us to say if if Israel is kind of an example for us, uh, I want us to be honest about maybe our view of God and His mission, and I just want us to ask the question: Is my view of God and His mission too small? Like Israel, God says it's too light a thing. What you're thinking, too small. I'm going to do something even bigger, and I want us to wrestle with our small expectations of God. I want us to think about, are the things that we are hoping to get out of Christianity, or the things that maybe you long for God to do, are they too small? Think about this. As a people, I think we are often happy if God just kind of sporadically does little things in our life just to kind of remind us that he's real, and we think, great, that's Christianity. Or we might think, man, I've got a tough situation coming up in the next couple days. If God just kind of eases that situation, he kind of lowers the obstacles, then that's awesome. That is what God is doing in my life. Or we would think of things like, uh, man, just I'm trying to do my Bible reading in the morning. God, would you just help? Just show me something in the Bible. Just, Just bring, just make it not dull, and then I'm happy with my Christianity. Or we think, man, I just, I need to feel loved and accepted, and so God, if you do that for me, then I'm, this is what Christianity is all about. Maybe consider some of these things. I want you just to to be honest, and I'm going to keep pressing a little bit. So just, I'm not saying all these things are bad, but just think about this. Think about your prayers and the things that you've kind of been consumed with when you think of Christianity. When we pray, when we think of what God is doing, um, I think we oftentimes, maybe a majority of our lives are centered on maybe things like this. Think if this sounds familiar. God, would you just speak to me this morning? God, I have a test this week. Would you help me not to fail? God, would you do something in my spouse before I go crazy this week? My wife might have prayed that prayer this last week. So, um, or maybe, God, just take the kids. Like, just time zap me to when they're 18 and they're out of the house because it's crazy. Or, or, God, I'm having tension with my boss. Would you just kind of help that situation? God, I just applied for a job. Would you provide this thing me. God, I feel a little bit spiritually dry. Would you just kind of help speak to me today? Or, or maybe maybe we're even a little bit bigger and more communal, and we think things like this. God, would you save my, my neighbor? You know, I think he's kind of a Christian. Maybe, maybe not. So just, if he's not, kind of tip him over on the other side of the fence, and let's make him a Christian. Or or God, would you just send some people to my city group this week? You know, we just commissioned three city groups, and when you start something, it's it's intimidating. And so you kind of pray, God, just help me not be alone in my living room tonight. Like, bring some people. Or God, help this uh, city group conversation not be awkward. Or, like, help somebody talk at some point, please. Or help that guy not talk as much as he does. Or we'll pray things like, God, would you just help our church get a little bit bigger? Like, just bring in some more people. Or, or God, would you just give us a building? We've been renting for a while. Give us a building. Or God, would you help us be financially stable so we don't have to worry about things as much? And I might be giving you a little insight into my heart and prayer sometimes, but we will pray these things, and now here's the deal. None of those things are bad. None of those things are bad, and catch this, none of those things are too small for God. Okay, so I'm not trying to judge any of those things. I'm not trying to discourage. Those things are good, and we should pray. Like Israel, them coming back into their promised land, that's a massive deal, and God cares about that. But if those are the only things that we pray about talk about think about or care about i think god would say to us that is too light a thing it is too light a thing if christianity only centers around our life and our world it's too small if our view of christianity is just god doing something in you for you or about you it's too small It's too light a thing. Now, I'll just be honest. I'm not throwing stones here. This last week, I I spent some time as I'm studying through this, and I just kind of did a little mental reflective exercise, and I started to think through that I've had. What are the major uh, prayers, conversations, and thoughts that I've had over the last week or two? And if you want a very convicting exercise, go and do this this week. Because here's what I found out. When I'm thinking, what am I praying about? What am I talking to people about? And what am I thinking about? Like when you're just kind of always in your head, kind of talking to yourself, what are those things about? What I realized the majority of the time is me, me, and me. Like Just think about the things that we pray, the things that we're expecting God to do. Think about the conversations that you have with people. When you're talking to yourself, we're talking about the experiences that we have, the situations that we have, the things going on in our life. And what we often find is that our world and really our view of God centers around me, my family, my church, or my little corner of time and space. This is exactly what Israel was doing. They just wanted God to do something with them, and it was big, and it was important, and God did it, but he also says, that's not all I'm doing. It is too light a thing to only focus in one spot. Verse 6, God says, our little view of his power and majesty and mission is simply too light a thing. So Providence, if our view of God and our view of Christianity and the mission of God, if it's really nothing more than him kind of entering our life and helping us along, it's too light a thing. That's not what God's doing in the world. That's a piece of it, and that's not the bulk of it. And frankly, it's no wonder why Christianity seems dull and boring at times if it only centers around you and your world. This is a big mission. How can I be so confident? Well, look at the end of verse six. Let's look. If that's our small expectations, look at what God's actually doing in the world through time and space. He says this, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. You could maybe say, it's too light a thing to only work in one church, only work in one person's life, only work in one little location. I will make you, this servant, as a light for the nations that my salvation would reach the ends of the earth. God says, this servant that I'm raising up, he is going to be so good that he's not just going to bring Israel back and he's not just going to work 2,000 years ago, but he will be a light for the nation and in him, salvation will reach the ends of the earth. Everything Israel was created to do, this new servant would actually do and his followers would get called into. So who is this great servant? This is amazing, so, so catch this. If you look at verse 6 here, uh, the last phrase, he says, my salvation would reach to the end of the earth. Okay, so if you can track with me for a second, that word salvation, uh, Isaiah was written in uh, the language of Hebrew, which is the language where most of the Old Testament was written in. That word uh, is the word uh, Yeshua, okay? So that's the Hebrew kind of root of the word salvation. Now, that word, it has a few other different roots, but they all kind of mean like this idea of salvation, Now, a few hundred years later, for us, if you flip to the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament, we see that the Son of God is going to be born. God is sending His Son to earth in the form of a baby. He comes from Mary, and you know in Matthew 1 what God says? He says, you shall call this boy Jesus. You know the Hebrew word for Jesus? Yeshua. He's saying, you shall call this boy salvation. It even says that in Matthew 1, he says, call him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. He's saying this boy, this person that is now going to live will be salvation. And then when that boy grows up and we have the son of God and he becomes a man in the gospel of John, he's walking around and he's teaching about himself. And he says, you know what? I am the light of the world. I'm not just the light of Israel. I'm not just the light of this particular area. He says, I'm a light of all the nations. He's looking at Isaiah 49 and saying, the light of the nations and salvation is found in Jesus. And so we have to see that the New Testament is telling us that Isaiah 49 right here, this servant that it's talking about, is the person and the work of Jesus. His salvation is so great that he will bring Full salvation of all peoples in all time and all space. To the ends of the earth, past, present, and future, salvation will be found in Jesus. Providence, we have to see that Jesus did not come for one specific type of people, for one people in one time period, from people from just a certain kind of background, or from people from one geographic location. For the Jewish people, they needed to hear this wasn't just going to be a Jewish thing. The ends of the earth would be brought in. I think for us, sometimes we need to hear that, that Christianity is not just a Midwest America thing. This is a faith and a religion uh, based on a person that is salvation and a light for all time and for all peoples. It is only through Jesus that anyone can find hope and salvation. I want you to wrestle with if you truly believe this, that it is through Jesus that you were saved It's through Jesus that your neighbor might be saved. And it's through Jesus that a Thai person will be saved. It's through Jesus that an Italian person will be saved. It's through Jesus that a villager in Africa will be saved. Or it's through Jesus that a tribesman in Southeast Asia will be saved. Of all time, in all places, the only way that one can be saved from their sins is in Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves... If salvation is only found in Jesus and his work as this servant is so good and so beautiful and so specific that people cannot be saved apart from him, then it is our mission to get his message and his name to the ends of the earth. That's our mission. That's what God is doing. If we have a mission that is lower than the worldwide evangelization of the name of Jesus, our expectations are too small. God says here, it's too light a thing that this would be in one place. It is my servant that will; his name will go to the ends of the earth. So here's what I want to do to kind of close. I want us to think through, if that's true, if Jesus is the way of salvation for all people in all times, um, then what does that mean for us as a church? Right? If we're going to expect great things from God and attempt great things from God, what does that actually mean? look like for us. What I want to do is, I don't have this on the screen, so if you want to read it, go to Acts chapter 13. Otherwise, you can just listen. Uh, But Acts chapter 13, um, there's this scene where the church is um, kind of growing, and there's a local church in Antioch, and, and they pray, and they hear from God that some people in their church should actually be sent out to go to new places where the gospel isn't. And so this church says, we're going to send some of our best people to go to the nations so that Jesus can be proclaimed and preached and praised where he is not right now. And so they send out Paul and Barnabas, and they go out. Now, if you go to verse, I'll just start in verse 47. Um, Paul actually looks at our passage in Isaiah 49, and he quotes it to give fuel to his mission. Look at verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 47. He says, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles, Gentiles are just non-Jewish people, so all the nations, when they heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. If we were to look at the rest of Acts, what we see is where the gospel grows, we preach the gospel, people are saved, a church is planted, and then they send out to go to new places so that we can preach the gospel, disciples can be made, churches can be planted, and they can send out and go to new places. This is the rhythm of Acts. This is what Paul does, and he says, I find my marching orders in Isaiah 49. My Jesus, this gospel is so good that this is gonna go to all the world and as many people as appointed to eternal life will believe. That means that there are people in some of these nations we believe that will find eternal life but it's gonna take people saying, I will go and preach the gospel. So for us as a church, Here's two commitments I want to make. When we think of global missions, uh, maybe your, whatever your church background might be uh, or lack thereof, you might have um, a lot of different ideas of what this means, the positives, the negatives, how you go about this. We just want to be very clear. Providence, we're going to make kind of two commitments. We're going to prioritize two things when we think global missions. Uh, first, we will commit to unreached peoples. Unreached peoples. Here's what I mean by that. Um, There's a lot of good work going on in the world, and missionaries are being sent, and they're going to places uh, where there's already kind of a gospel presence. That word unreached means, uh, just kind of in uh, mission language, it means that there's 2% or less of the population Christian. And what that means is that if there's 2% or less, there is a, a really low chance that people in that country will actually ever hear of the name of Jesus, It means that there's little to no access of the gospel, and so these are places where people are being born, they are living, and they are dying, and they are never hearing that there's a God that loves them and a servant Jesus that can save them. They are dying in their sins because they have never even heard the name of Jesus, And so as a church, what we want to commit to is saying, we want to go to and support the gospel getting to some of the hardest places on earth. The places that are unreached, where there's no churches, there's no missionaries, we want to go in and say, we're going to go there. That's what we believe we see in Acts, is that the church says, there's people, that if there's people that don't know Jesus, we're going to that place. If there's a place where there's no churches, we're going to go to that place. And as a church, that's what we want to commit to. We're going to prioritize getting the gospel to unreached places so that we can preach the gospel because we believe there are people that are appointed to eternal life there. So we're going to go. Secondly, when we think of global missions, we want to commit to church planting. Okay, so we want to commit to unreached peoples and we want to commit to church planting. Here's why. In Acts, that's just what happened. They went, they preached the gospel, people got saved, and they planted local churches Because if we're going to go into places where there's really no gospel, the way that we're actually going to see people come to faith is when disciples are made in local churches, people have kind of a bond together, and then those churches plant more local churches. So we're not going to be kind of Rambo style, just run in, run out, go crazy all alone. We're going to say, we're going to go in, we're going to try to preach the gospel, see some conversions, and plant local churches because we believe that's God's heart for people and for these places. And we believe the healthiest way for the gospel to continue to go forward is church plants, planting more churches and seeing more conversions made. Now we said a couple weeks ago, church planting isn't the ultimate goal. Making disciples is the ultimate goal. We just believe church planting is one of the best ways to go about doing that. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to take a a couple minutes uh, to close by giving you a few maybe next steps in that. Those are our commitments. But um, over the last couple years, you've probably heard us talk about, we actually have a couple partners, uh, missionaries in Thailand right now. Um, Just kind of quick information on Thailand. It's about 1% Christian, which means in the whole country, uh, there's about 69 million people in the country and about 1% of them are Christian. So 99% of the people in this country have basically no access to the gospel. They're not just running across churches on every corner. They're not run, interacting with Christians at coffee shops and on a regular basis. And so we have said, we wanna be about church planting and gospel proclamation in one of the driest and hardest places on earth. And so uh, that's been kind of our partner so far. And so we actually have a, a couple over there, a family, Keith and Sarah, and find. And so they actually sent us a quick little update video. They've been thankful for prayers. We've supported them. We actually helped them plant a church in February. Uh, And so what we want to do is, I'm just going to take a couple minutes. We're going to play this, just a quick update, and then I'll talk about a few ways that we can kind of get involved. So let's play the video of the update of the Nigan finds.
2: Hey, Providence Church, uh, and greetings from Bangkok, Thailand. Uh, we're the Naigan Fines. You might remember us. We have come and visited you guys in uh, Omaha before, and we are Alliance missionaries here in Thailand. And what we're doing right now is running Alliance University Center, um, a center and a church plant that you guys have had a part in supporting, um, praying for us for. And so we just wanted to share a little bit of um, good news about what God has been doing here Uh
3: so first of all i just want to say thank you again so much for all of your prayers and support of our family um our kids are continuing to grow and do well here and so we thank you for your prayers for our family and our kids and also for the ministry at the university center so my main responsibility is to focus on the programs that we run at our center which really incorporate encompasses teaching English and community outreaches. So um, we started out with just doing some basic English teaching and we're really seeing a sense of community grow among the students that are coming to the center. And so uh, we had a party last month, a fall costume party, and we had 40 people come, which was just such an awesome thing. And we're really starting to see just a community develop around the Uh, the programs that we run at our center. And so thank you guys for your prayers. And ultimately our goal is to get those students filtered in to coming as well to our Sunday service.
2: Yeah. um, And it's really kind of neat to think just what the Lord's been doing. Uh, We've been running it about eight months and, um, We've seen God really move and seen people coming there. Eight months ago, there was nobody there. Uh, Just Sarah and I were there, uh, sitting wondering what the Lord was gonna do. And I think of how international our church plant is. So, last Sunday, just this last Sunday, a couple days ago, uh, we had, you know, somewhere between 20 and 30 people there, uh worshiping, but the cool thing is is that they were there from nine different countries. Um you want to talk international uh church of God reaching the nations, um it's something we've really seen. So we're seeing people who were looking for a church um coming and being part of the church, but I think that the coolest thing and the biggest goal at the end of the day is we have seen some people move from darkness to light and um end up deciding to follow Jesus and are beginning to grow in their faith. So um, We just want to say thank you guys. Thank you for what you're doing there in Omaha. Thank you for your support and prayers. Thank you for your financial support of us. Um, And know that the door is always open. If any of you want to come out and visit, um, come out and serve, we'd love to have you. But grateful for you guys. Grateful that we're part of the Alliance family together. And um, I hope you're encouraged about what God's doing here. We're encouraged about what God's doing here um, and that we've seen a church raise up of many different people and we're starting to see people come into the kingdom. Uh, God bless you guys hope you have a wonderful service. Um, We'll see you guys sometime in the near future. Bye.
1: So part of the stuff that we've done is to try and help them plant a church. And they've seen, like I said, a number of people already come to faith. He works next to a university. He has people from all around the world that are actually coming to this university that they're interacting with. And so uh, it's just amazing things. He did just tell me recently that uh, he's looking for a pastor of that church. And so if anybody's interested, uh, you feel a to be a pastor, uh, he's got a job opening for you. Um, but seriously, here's a couple things that I want to push us towards. Um, the number one thing is honestly, just would you prayerfully consider um, getting involved in the work of God among the nations?" Uh, We believe that this is what God is doing, that he is having Jesus be spread through all the world, in all tongues, through all languages, in all time, and we want to be about that. So would you just prayerfully consider that? Again, if you look at your bulletin, uh, there's a handful of next steps on there. Um, There's a worship night coming up this Wednesday. This is low commitment. Just come, and let's just start praying together for the nations. And uh, Keith actually sent us a little video that he's going to guide us through just a few things to pray for for them. Uh, So come on Wednesday. Uh, We also have a perspective class that if you uh, haven't heard of that, we're partnering with a couple other churches here in Omaha um, that kind of help us just get a framework for missions. And so we have some cards out at the welcome table, plus a couple people will be out there that have gone through it. So if you have any questions on what that's about, Go and find that. Um, Also, if you'd consider just prayerfully joining the work of God uh, globally through finances and think about how you could financially be about church planting in unreached places. We've got a handful of different ways you could do that. Uh, We're actually taking a a trip in February, a few of us leaders, to go to Bangkok to kind of help just kind of further the partnership, and we're actually looking at potentially praying through an opportunity in Japan, uh, which again, if you know much about Japan, it's again one of the hardest places right now for the gospel And so uh, we hear that, and we think we got to figure out how to get there and help the gospel go forward. And so um, if you're interested in some of that stuff, uh, let me know. Um, But here's the last thing I want to say. Would you actually pray through? The the church in Antioch uh, prayed, and they asked the Lord, is there anybody among us that you would actually send? And they wanted to hear from the Lord and say, man, if Jesus is this good, if his work is this glorious, then that means we as a church not only are going to send dollars and prayers, but we believe that we are going to raise up and send people to actually go to help plant churches in unreached areas. And so uh, we need both. The church in Antioch didn't just kind of shut down and everybody left. There was still a a church home base that was preaching the gospel there and supporting and and praying for the missionaries, but there were people that were raised up to go. And so uh, I just want to unashamedly ask, hey, would you consider that? Would you pray through if God would have you go for uh, months or for a few years or maybe indefinitely that the Lord would call you into his work among the nations and uh, we as a church want that to be routine as we go on that we would just every year be having people raised up and sent out to get the gospel to the nations and so um, that's kind of our vision and our goal here's what I want to do I want to invite the band up we're going to pray for a second uh, and then take communion. But as the band comes up, I, I want to read you um, just a couple lyrics from the first song we sang uh, this morning. And I just want this to kind of root us and be kind of our belief system. The song said this, Christ the Lord overcame the darkness. He's alive and death has been defeated. And he now reigns, ruler of the heavens, and his name is Jesus the Messiah, for he made us a way by which we have been saved. He is the Savior of the world. So we, the church, we lift up a shout of his fame and renown, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, Jesus, Savior of the world. Would we be a people that pray for this, that proclaim this, and be a church that is passionate about the big mission of God to get the name of Jesus and his salvation to the ends of the earth? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you that you have raised up Jesus, that his death and resurrection on the cross has opened the door for all peoples of all time to enter back into a relationship with you. God, I pray for us that we would be so captivated by the gospel message, that we would be so fueled by your mission to get that gospel to the ends of the earth, um, that we would see... um, just a radical expectation of great things from you. That we as a church would attempt great things. That we would say, if you're going to the nations, God, we're going to. We're signing up and we're going to go and we're going to preach and we're going to proclaim and we're going to plant churches and we're going to see new disciples in all the earth because we believe that every person should be worshiping you. We believe that you deserve the praise and the glory of every tongue on earth. And so God, would we be compelled by that? Would we be drawn by love? The fact that there are people around the world that you love that do not yet know you, God. Would we be drawn into your mission through that? Would you call us into that as a church? God, would this not be some kind of side uh, ministry that Providence Church does? Would this be the heartbeat of our church and our people that we would get the gospel to some of the places around the world that do not have it? Would you be with us now? Would you encourage us and give us great amounts of boldness? We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.